I will follow you into the dark, dark, dark. It's becoming a phrase here around uh, church. We appreciate that. Thanks for joining with us online. It's good to have you under the tent as well as uh, we're nearing the end of our tent series. And today is our sermon ending uh, series of the True North series. And we're gonna close it up today. And I'm gonna kind of unload my heart on this series because this series has come right out of my devotional life. Um, oftentimes we'll select a series based on a book we wanna walk the church through or, or uh, do, and Daniel was centered around that, prayed over and all this stuff. But uh, this tent series has kind of really just come out of my devotional life. So I'm sharing with you online as well as with you here in the tent. I pray that your refocusing of priorities has really helped you as well as we've been seeking to point to True North our Lord and Savior, his truth in a time period where it feels like it's very difficult to find truth. And so we've had a little fun at the beginning of uh, each one of these series as we've done top five things, you know, and we've had some pretty good arguments. I've gotten to taste new candy bars that I've never tasted before through this. Um, I've, I've been like yelled at that I picked the wrong ice cream flavors. Um, some of you would argue you know of a better French fry place. Um, we've been having a lot of fun with that because we've been saying sometimes we're so bent on how we see things that Preference issues become dividers, and we don't want to let that happen, church. We don't want to let that happen in our lives. We're dividing over preferences. Um, we, we want to be looking to the truth in these things. And so I thought how we could end um, was something I wanted to bring up in this series that's kind of been a driver for me. And uh, that is uh, the top hobbies. Do you have a hobby? Any of you have hobbies? Now, now I, I'm going to tell you, I've been talking to people about what their hobbies are, and it's kind of their ings, okay? I've noticed it's an ing thing. There goes my, my, my notes there. Um, it's kind of an ing thing. Um, what do you like to do? Um, I looked up what a hobby is. It's something you do, collect, or create in leisure time that brings you great enjoyment, okay? Um, how do you know what your hobby is? Check your bank account probably, right? Um, it's what you spend the most money doing. It's probably usually your hobby. You notice in scripture it says where your treasure is, there your heart will be. See, Jesus is kind of like telling us, you know, um, it, he doesn't say where your heart is, there goes your treasure. He says where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. So if Jesus wanted to find out what your priorities are, he would literally just say, can I see your bank account? And he'd know. He'd look at Pastor Christus and he'd be like, you worship a God of Wawa here? What's going on? You know, it's like he would see where a lot of money spent. Well, well, what are your hobbies? What do you just love to do? It's kind of your escape. Well, I started listing some, some of these hobbies that, that people really enjoy. Um, and uh, boy, I, I wonder if yours will show up. Reading. Readers, thumbs up. We got some readers. There you go. Are some of you like reading snobs? You're like, I don't do it digitally. I do paper only, you know, you know. Um, I, I can go both ways. I, I, can, I can go both ways on that. Fishing, fishing's gotta be in your top 10. Any of you fishers? I got some fishers. I see some little kids out there fishers. Gardening, any green thumbs? Anybody, gardeners? Um, come on, this is 2020. Gamers, right, gaming. How many of you are gaming? Some of you are like barely gonna stay awake during this service because how late you were up last night gaming, okay. Uh, um, hunting. We got hunters, right? I know we have hunters. I always feel very safe here every Sunday morning. Uh, <laughs> training or exercising? How many of you just love to train or exercise? That's your hobby. If, if you want to do that, I, I want to go do that. Some of you are like, no, this is very preference-based. How about, how about this one? Uh, golfing, 
that's got to be one of the top. Any golfers out there? We got golfers out there. All right, I'm not going to judge it. I was on a course yesterday, okay? But, but there's a new one building up in the church. I see Adam Meller back here. Um, we are now disc golfing, right, Adam? This is becoming very popular. You and Mike are pursuing scholarships, trying to get out of the church. Um, and, you know, the, these the, disc golfing, okay, which I would argue is a lot cheaper than golfing. Um, knitting, any knitters? Any knitters? Okay. Um, how about woodworking? Woodworking. We got some woodworking? Ladies or guys? I see it. Boating? Y'all got boats, right? No? Okay, maybe you get one. Um, drawing or painting? Come on. There's, uh, there we go. Drawing or painting. Um, how about just practicing music, musical instruments? That, you just love to practice your instrument. You know, I see a couple rows here. They raise their hands every time. <laughs> do you guys have anything to do with your lives except hobbies? It's great. I love it. Um, Collecting, scrapbooking, just collecting stuff. You got shelves everywhere where you're putting stuff up. How about biking, photography? I mean, look at all these hobbies. And we're kind of in a time period where hobbies are getting real popular um, because people aren't doing maybe the organized activity that they were once doing. And, and, and so they're looking at different things they can do uh, just, to, just to pass the time. Um, one person said, uh, hobbies are things you do to ignore this crazy world we're living in, okay? Um, and, and I don't know what your hobby is, but um, I was inspired years back by a guy whose hobby was woodworking. I mean, he had this incredible shop he had in his garage. His tools were so organized. And what he did is he would say, I like to whittle away. Well, his whittling away was some of the best craftsman stuff you've ever seen. In fact, one time he built me a gigantic Pine Derby race car track for the church here. And it was just this awesome thing. And he was so great. But one of the things he talked about was he said, I got to a season in my life where I wanted my hobbies to count. I was spending so much time in the garage by myself often, or, or I was doing things for, for myself or building things for myself. I wanted to do something with my hobby that was more kingdom building instead of just passing the time away. Have you ever thought of ways to make your hobby more intentional in sharing the love of Christ or sharing your life or, or mentoring or this. And that's what he began to do. And, and he began to make things, even props for me here at church, that became very special. In fact, in the woodworking category, I brought some things over here. I'm gonna walk over and get them here. I've had people give me stuff over the years that have gone on my shelves um, as special. This right here, anybody wanna take a shot at what that is? No, it's a shimmy shawl. How many of you go back that far? Okay, um, you say, what's a shimmy shawl? Well, that's what, that's what Noah said when God said, build an ark. You see, God said, build an ark. Noah had never seen an ark. Noah didn't know what an ark was. And so God gives him these instructions. He didn't have, he, kids, he couldn't go to YouTube and go, how do you build an ark? Oh yeah, oh yeah, my neighbor has an ark. Oh, well, go look at his. Noah had no idea what he was building. And that's why I joked and said, it's like God walked up to you and said, I want you to build a shimmy shawl. You go, what's a shimmy shawl? He goes, here's how the measurements of it. Start building. Okay. And, and so this is my, yes, kids, it is an ark, but this is my shimmy shawl. And it was my first sermon as a lead pastor here when I was 34. And uh, I still have this in my office. Um, this one's neat. This was a, a sermon series. Let's see the date here, 2014. 
Um, the series was Know Christ, K-N-O-W. If you know Christ, you'll know hope. You'll know what hope is. But the other part of the series was Know Christ, N-O, no hope. If you don't have Christ, you're not gonna have hope. And so, a man in the church, it, it, it says Reverend Chris Heller, that's scary, it makes me feel terribly old. Um, it, it says, no Christ, no hope, and then you turn it, okay, you turn it, and it goes, no Christ, no hope. I'll turn it again, let's see if I got it right. No Christ, no hope, then no Christ, no hope. Frank Denton, if you're watching, you remember building that for me. Um, a NASA engineer built that for me. He put a, a lunar module on. He also built me that. Um, here, here's one. Uh, we have a gentleman in the church. He says, I like to bless the pastors with a cross. And, and he brought all the pastors across that he whittled away. Look, look at the craftsmanship of that. It's just a beautiful thing. It sits in our offices. Here's one. Here's one from just this past Christmas. I had an eighth grade girl come up to me and said, I, I carved this for you and I wanted you to have it. It sits in my office. Hope can change everything. Remember our Christmas series, the light of the gospel, hope can change everything. And, and look how this hobby Look how this gift package, look how people have used it to bless people, bless me specifically. Now I'm gonna put these over here. It's encouraged me because throughout my life I've had different hobbies. One, when uh, especially my oldest son was younger, he was really into Thomas the Tank Engine, okay? And so as every good parent and grandparents did, we bought way too much Thomas the Tank Engine stuff, okay? But one of the things we did was we started working on model railroads, which went back to my youth. My grandpa had model railroads. And one of the things that I wanted to do with my hobby, inspired by this craftsman who said, I wanna make my hobby count for the Lord. Um, I was building model railroads with my son. And what I began to do is name my buildings after people in the church. And so the buildings in the town, whether it was a business or whatever, would have a name of a family in the church. And so I'd have this building on our train layout, me and my son, and it would remind me, pray for whosoever building it is. And so I had nice grocery stores, okay? Because um, Mike worked at the grocery store before he came to the church here. I remember, I remember having um, Larry Groover's accounting building, okay? If you know who Larry is in our church. I mean, I had these things in our church and I was using our model railroad for that. Now, life's kind of got in the way of that hobby, but it reminded me to take this leisure time, take something I truly delight in and figure out ways I can use it for the Lord. I've had people come and share with me. I've taken my hobby and turned it into this. My daughter has taken her love for painting and turned it into a ministry with Bibles. I mean, people are taking things that they love to do anyway and find ways to bless people with it. And so this is something that I've been processing and thinking, what will I delight in? And it's kind of why I wanted to use hobbies as kind of something for us to think about going into today. Because this is a time period I don't want to waste. I don't want to lose it. I don't want to just distract myself. I want to grow from this year. In fact, it's been a, a leverage point that I put in my own journal life. This is a quote from it. I will not waste this trial by living in denial. I'm not gonna pr pretend my life hasn't changed. It has. I've changed as a person. My priorities have been reorganized a lot through this. But I'm not gonna pretend um, and, and act like it's not there. I'm not gonna waste this trial by living in denial. May I accept this time of refinement as preparation for my future assignment. I feel like God in so many ways has been taking Pastor Chris and prayerfully you along this journey with me and he's just kind of refining stuff. Chris, we gotta get 
We got to get working on some of this stuff. And he just keeps refining and refining and refining until I come out more like Christ. How has God been growing you through this season? And one of the areas that I feel Jesus just keeps pointing me to in his scripture is the blessed life. Not the successful life, not the American dream, but the blessed life. And I've been on a pursuit this summer to learn as much as I can about the blessed life and therefore the Beatitudes and centering on what Jesus says. That's what I want my kids doing. That's what I wanna see when I see my kids living out the Beatitudes. And so today, now that we've been through those eight priorities in our series ender here, I wanna go to the book of Psalms and look at what David says Blessed is the man. Do you know that over 26 times in the Psalms, David says, blessed is the man? Now, can I say this with no shame? I'm not saying this in shame, but I want you to ask yourself and, and raise your invisible hand in your head. How many of the 26 do you have memorized? Okay, now I'm gonna put myself in the seat because it's just not fair for me to attack a congregation like that, okay? You're sitting home like, hey, hey. How much folly is it for God's kids to not know the blessed of the man verses? Like, I mean, if you sit back and go, God has basically put in his scripture what the happy, favored life in God's eyes are and God's kids often don't know what it is. I mean, we can name, guys, you probably know your fantasy football team better than blessed are the man versus. I mean, this is the reality that we live in. We are so distracted. We are so off course. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with fantasy football. But we are so off course in our focus and in our energies that we have been given, blessed are the man versus that we can pattern our lives at. We don't even know them. And so today, that won't be true of you. We're gonna go through a few, but we're gonna go through one of the preeminent ones. In fact, David began the Psalm. I was joking with the staff, no pun intended. David really harped on the blessed man, okay? He harped on this throughout the whole thing. He wants you to know what God views as a life that he favors, as a life that he looks down and goes, that's my kid, that's my boy, that's my daughter. That's the life I'm looking for. And we have to be careful in this season of life to not get off true north. And instead, focus on blessed is the man. Can I pray that, we, that God would visit us in this tent and online with you today as we look at this text. Heavenly Father, use this final blessed to encourage us to pursue the life that you long for us. We have an enemy, he's trying to trick us. He's trying to get us off focus. He's trying to get us to pursue other things, memorize things that don't matter, dive in and blow a lot of energy and time and money into things that will just frivolously go away. Anchor us in God, focus in on your truth. Give us your true north principles that we can live off of. We wanna be that blessed brother, sister in Christ. Oh, it doesn't mean a life free of trial, heaven forbid. It doesn't mean a life free of getting whittled away and refined by the refiner's fire. Nope. But it does mean living a life that our heavenly father can celebrate with us that that is what he desires. We'll pray this in your name. Amen.
Okay, so blessed is the man. Some of you have this memorized. You're like, oh, I have this one, okay? Blessed is the man. It's Psalm 1-1, and David, he just comes right in with it. He goes, I, I want you to watch for this. He goes, blessed is the man, or happy would be a translation that's actually better, but blessed in Hebrew, they had to work with that, so we'll work off that translation. But blessed or happy or favored is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Do you hear the trifold challenge? Young people, you want to understand what a blessed life is before you can go through all the trials your parents may have gone through? Get this one right. David started right there. He wished Solomon probably would have gotten this more right. But you can really quickly see there is a walk, stand, sit going on here. Let's break it down visually for all my visual learners. Blessed is a man who does not walk according to ungodly counsel. Okay, He does not follow ungodly counsel. It is amazing to me how many people would rather stand on, I read an article that said, versus I have a scripture verse that told me. It is amazing how many people will choose that over the words of God, as if that somehow is something you should anchor off of. Well, they're very knowledgeable and stuff like that. You're right. Scripture? Okay, so, so blessed is a man who does not follow ungodly counsel. He doesn't walk in it, okay? He doesn't like, ooh, that's good ungodly counsel. I'm gonna follow, all right? He does not stand according to ungodly practices. He doesn't look at ungodly practices and say, I wanna join in on that. College, students, sitting out there in your dorms or whatever. Blessed is a man who does not join in with ungodly practices. The Holy Spirit goes, knock, 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 what are you doing? And you go, well, I mean, I don't wanna look like an idiot. I don't wanna look like a loser. No, no, blessed is a man who does not join in. And then blessed is a man who does not sit with ungodly attitudes. I love the sitting illustration because most people are really tough when they're sitting on their computer, aren't they? They're hot shots, they're punky on their computers. It's amazing how they change when they're standing right in front of you. But anybody can sit on a computer and have you noticed that it is a place of negativity and anger and critique and judgment? Is it's easy. Blesses man does not follow this world, join up with this world or think like this world. It is amazing to me how many people look at scripture and think it's something for dumb people. Do you know how many degrees are in this church? Do you know how many lawyers, how many doctors, how many CEOs? Do you know how many people that make thousands and people that even make more than that go to this church? Do you know how many, how many incredibly educated people? We have multiple degrees in this church, some from Princeton University. This isn't a collection of stupid people that go to our church. In fact, I preached to one of the probably the smartest, most accomplished congregations in this area. This isn't a collection of dumb people. And these people have joined me in saying, the truth of scripture is this. This is the blessed life, not pursuing the things of this world. And we have some of the most elite coaches in this congregation. We have some of the most elite people I've met in Bucks County, according to the world's eyes. And they argue that this is the blessed life. It's not some dumb crutch that religious people follow. This is where it's at. You pursue anything else it only leads to discouragement and dissatisfaction. David said, yes, yes, blessed is a man who does not walk, stand, or sit with the things of the world. But, but, but what? See, here's something that even Alcoholics Anonymous understands. You can't have somebody who's practicing a certain behavior 
be told to stop it without replacing the behavior. Here's my point. You come home and you tell your husband, I'm just feeling so anxious and nervous. And he responds with, well, knock it off. <laughs> oh, thank you, sweetheart. That's why I married you. I'm going to knock it off now. That doesn't work. Okay. It doesn't work. You're like, all those guys are like, what is really great counsel. It also doesn't work to come home and say, oh, nobody respects me. Nobody gives me their strength. They don't appreciate me at work. Oh, well, stop crying about it. Oh, well, I can't. Like, we actually need a different path. And scripture understands that. You can't just say, stop following the world. Stop thinking like the world. Stop acting like the world without replacing it with behavior. And so David says, I got a new habit for you. He says this, but, but his delight, blesses man doesn't walk, sit or stand, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. Now that would have been the Torah for David. That would have been what he had. Blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord. He delights in it. It's his ing. Okay, it's his, it's his joy. It's what he would rather, I, I always say a hobby is what you'd rather be doing than probably sitting here this morning, right? But David says, no, 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 no. Oh man, David would say, oh, oh, today I get to go to the house of the Lord. David would say things like, I delight in God's word. And that's why David, this, guys, if David were here, he could maybe kill me at any moment, okay? This guy would go off the hook in a second. But the same guy just had a passion for God and to know God and he delighted in his word. And that's why God even said, David, that guy, that failure, but that awesome king, that lust-filled man, but that incredible psalm writer, that guy is a man after my own heart. Because why? He delighted. He took great joy. It was like playing golf. It was like scrapbooking. It was like anything to be around the law. And on his law, he meditates day and night. I had a brother in Christ say to me, hey, Chris, what does it mean to meditate? Like uh, sometimes we only think like, mm, well, don't do that. What is meditate? Uh, you know, let, let's do this. Let's jump down. Just get in the seminary level here for a second. Meditate comes from uh, uh, the idea, or it can literally be translated to mumble something to yourself, okay? But there's a repetition to it. There's a repetition. The idea here is to speak to oneself over and over and over and over. So it's a prolonged review of what you're focusing on. During this time period, I have never found it more important than to have an anchor verse. Not just read the scriptures. That's great and it's awesome and I challenge you to be in the scriptures. But do you have a verse? Do you have a verse that during this season of life where you've been feeling extra pressure, extra stress, hear moms talking about what's going on at the schools or if you're at work or if you're like me and every conversation you have is about COVID-19. I mean, whatever you're going through, all right? And it's like, oh my word, I'm, I'm exhausted. Do you have an anchor verse? I asked the staff, do you have an anchor verse? Like something that you can meditate on and repeat to yourself and repeat to yourself and repeat to yourself because here's what's gonna happen. You're gonna read an article and it's gonna trigger a response in you. You're gonna have somebody say something at work and it's gonna trigger a response in you. You're gonna see something that's gonna trigger an anxious spirit within you. You're gonna have something happen that's gonna trigger resentment in you or a frustration of what's happened to you. And if you don't have an anchor verse that you can keep saying in your head, oftentimes it'll trip you up. God's word have I hid in my heart that I might not 
Sin against thee. What's your anchor verse? So I asked our staff, I said, hey staff, what do you got? What do you got? And they needed a second to think, you know? They're like, oh man. And so they, they started shooting them out, okay? Um, John Hodden, Psalm 34, four. Kyle Ann's, Proverbs 22, one. Pastor Doug, Galatians 6, 9, and 10. John Adams, Numbers 13, 30. Romans 12, 2, Sandy Naso. Romans 12, 10, Erica Story. Psalm 112, 7, Dawn Orlando. Psalm 90, 14, um, Jamie Johnstone. Deuteronomy 31, 8, Darla Mall. I got them all here. I just got them. I said, this is my staff's anchor verses. What's my anchor verse? that I can keep meditating on and, and going to in this season that I can delight in and can lock in on. And it's been this one. Blessed is the man, Jeremiah 17, 7, 8, who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. Let, let, me, let me, young people, let me teach you a little something about how to draw application out of things and adults, listen along. Whenever you wanna draw application, uh, at night, I'll lay down in my, my youngest son's bed. I'll say, hey, what's the verse of the day? What's the verse of the day? And we look up you version, okay? And we look at the verse of the day. Last night it was, um, whether you eat or drink, do everything um, to give glory to the Lord. And my youngest goes, what does that even mean? I said, go ask your lead pastor. So, uh, uh, so I said, here's the deal. There's a context here. And he's talking about eat or drinking. I can tell I'm already losing him. I go, here's the point. And it was summed up in a song we sang today. In everything I do, Christ be magnified. That's what, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Whether it's a hobby, whether it's an activity, you do it for the glory of God. Well, I want you to use another application point. If you're ever wondering, how can I draw application of a verse? Just change the subject of the Lord with something else. Ready? Think about the time we're living in. Blessed is the man who trusts in Chris. Oh, that's defeating. Because I know I, I can't, I have any trust in myself. I feel weak at times. So if I put my own name in there, I see how selfish this verse becomes. Let, let, me, let me be a little more um, culturally relevant. Blessed is the man who puts his trust in, and you go ahead and put a politician's name in right there. See how that makes you feel. Doesn't help, does it? Blessed is the man who puts his trust in, go ahead and put a nation in there. Go ahead and put a country. Not gonna do it. One of the greatest ways to draw application is put other things in in place of God. Blessed is the man who puts his trust in dad. I, I love, I'm sure you have a great dad, but it ain't gonna bring what this verse provides. The only thing that can activate the promises of this text, my anchor verse, is when that says Lord. Blessed is the man who puts his trust in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends its roots out by the stream. And this is where it spoke to me. Does not fear when the heat comes because man, has it felt like the heat has come for its leaves remain green and it's not anxious in the year of drought when it feels like everything's kind of dry for it does not cease to bear fruit. And I've been meditating on it. I've been thinking about it. I've had brothers and sisters in Christ say, hey, have you ever seen this verse? And went, oh my word. It's like God just keeps pushing that into my life. And why that's so neat is because look, when we jump back into our text where David says, don't sit, walk, or stand, he continues, but delight in God's word. And when you delight in God's word, you'll be like a tree planted by streams of water that yield its fruit in season and its leaf doesn't wither. And all that he does, he prospers. And you say, hold up. 
There are plenty of Christians that aren't really prospering. Time out. You're looking at that from an earthly standpoint. Jesus is the one who says that. I see that life. They blessed is the man who trusts in me because I see that life and that life is prospering. Wow. The wicked are not so but are like the chaff that the wind drives away. You ever watch country, country movies? You got the big hay barrels and they're blown away. Right, all that stuff. Sound effects are free. That's like the wicked are. That's the wicked. Therefore the wicked will not stand in judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. It doesn't end well for the wicked. In fact, he continues and says this. But the Lord knows the way of the righteous. He knows it but the way of the wicked will perish. How many out there, you, you, you don't want to say it in church, but you're like, it feels like evil's winning. You're like, I just feel like evil's winning. Evil's gonna win, evil's gonna win. I, I want you to picture Jesus hearing that. <laughs> evil's gonna win? Evil's gonna win. Evil's gonna win? Yeah. Evil's going, yeah, God, can't you, are you not seeing this world? Yeah, I didn't see 2020 coming. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> I mean, God, do you see what I'm going through? I mean, evil is everywhere. Evil's going to win. We're all going to die. It's, we're going to be persecuted. We've got to get my head cut off. <laughs> and you know what the devil's doing? Watching the church behave that way online in their conversations around the next generation, constantly pouring fear into their life. You know what the devil's doing? Keep it up. Keep it up, church. Show them you're no different. Show them that you've actually put all your trusts in your politicians and in your leaders and everything like that. And you're freaking out instead of showing the faith that I've called you to. Now, now, all of you who have a sensitive spirit, I'm preaching you, inspired you, not condemn you. I am going through the same struggles myself, okay? But we can't let the devil win. And he wants to, and he wants to make a mockery of the church. And he wants the church at large to be terrified, complaining and crying and depressed. And Jesus up there going, oh my word, I wrote Revelation for a reason. We win. Guys, we win. You win. The wicked aren't going to win. And I look at this text, I'm like, wow, David really just broke it down. It's, it's this, it's prosper or perish. So what's the, what's the, what's the parable I want to put alongside this? Can I tell you a horror story? Do you like horror stories? I want to tell you the most horrific story in scripture. I think it's a horror story and Jesus told it. He was the one who said it. He gathered his disciples around and he basically told them a horror story. And I'm going to tell you, it's not easy to hear. It, it, it's, going to, it's going to startle you if you've never heard it. But Jesus gathered his guys around. He said, I got to tell you a horror story. Here's what it is. It's called the rich man and Lazarus. Some of the details of this story are very hard to swallow, but this came from your savior, Jesus Christ's mouth. I just wanna give you a little background before we enter this text. During the time Jesus was teaching, he had not been resurrected yet. There was a section of afterlife called Sheol, could also be called Hades. It seems as if there was a good side that was often called Lazarus's, excuse me, that was often called Abraham's bosom or paradise. In fact, Jesus turned to, him, to his right on the cross and said, today you'll be with me in paradise. 
Many believe that's where Jesus went, the good portion, and released the captives in that section. But it was an intermediate state. There was also a gulf in that intermediate state, and there was another side, and that was Hades, or hell, or Gehenna, okay? Sheol is your Hebrew term. Hades, as you move forward into the Greek, as you work towards Gehenna. I, I just, a, just a little bit of a visual to help you before I tell you this horror story. It's when we die, our bodies, our material go to the grave, our immaterial go on. Scripture's clear about that. And our immaterial either goes to paradise or to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord or it goes to eternal punishment. The Bible's pretty clear about this. There's resurrection spoken of in Scripture. There's a resurrection of the dead that I believe will happen at the end of the millennial kingdom at the great white throne judgment before everyone there in the dead will be thrown into the lake of fire with the devil. There's also a section of the resurrection of you that you're expecting that's talked about in scripture as the rapture where the dead in Christ will rise first and we will receive our glorified bodies. These things happen so we receive our eternal immaterial bodies that carry on. Now, you can go with what an article says or you can go with what scripture kind of points to of what the afterlife is like, okay? And this is what Jesus wanted to tell all of us and a story he wanted people to hear to wake them up to the realities that you get one go around on this earth, one. And if you think it's just about collecting stuff and delighting in things, there's more to it than that. And it's the number one priority. And blessed is the man who hears this he says, there was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen who feasted sumptuously every day. You're gonna see there's nothing wrong with being rich. There's something very wrong with being this guy. He's got purple on, which means he's loaded. He is looking good. He's got all the latest cars. He's got all the latest tricks. He's got a million garages. He feasts sumptuously all the day. He's got all sorts of food. Jesus goes, there was a rich man. Then he says, and there was a poor man. He was laid, and at his gate, at his gate, so he's got this huge gate, there was a man named Lazarus. Jesus mentions him. We see that this is not the Lazarus of Mary's brother, but, but a Lazarus in scripture, a very common name. So I think Jesus wanted people to associate with this story. He said, Lazarus is laid there. He's covered with sores. Oh, gross, right? He desired to be fed from the food that fell from the rich man's table. As some food falls, I'm gonna eat. Moreover, even dogs came and licked his sores. Oh, this is a disgusting story. What's Jesus doing? You've got society's best and you've got society's worst. He said, the poor man, look what happened. The poor man died and was carried away by angels to Abraham's side. Whoa, this guy who was getting his sores licked off is now being escorted to glory by angels? Yeah. Even Hebrews, double stamps. This is one of the, mess the, the things that angels do. Wow. What happened to the rich man? Jesus says the rich man also died and he was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. Well, hold up. If you believe in postmodern annihilation, that you don't have any conscience or can't see, this text argues with you. If you believe in some unconscious afterlife or soul sleep, this text argues with you. And Jesus is the one who said it, not Chris Heller. 
He says, the rich man also died and was buried. He's in this other section of Hades and being in torment, he lifted his eyes and he saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. What's next? This is a horror story. He called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to just dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am in anguish in this flame. It's like Jesus wanted to point out that this rich man being in hell still wanted Lazarus to minister to him. But I noticed flame and, and, I, and I, I made a note of this. Make no mistake, if you hear people say, I'm going to hell, that's where like the party's at, okay? I'm gonna just give you a little doctrine of hell here real quick. Here's what scripture says about hell. Hell is a place of fire. I am in anguish in this flame, Jesus says, of this rich man. In the furnace of fire by Jonathan Edwards, he goes, can you really imagine the horror? Imagine every part of your body on fire at the same time so that every part of your body is on fire at the same time. Every fiber of your being feels the intense torment of being burned. It's the gospel of Mark 9, 44 through 49. There the fire is not quenched. Can you send Lazarus to just dip his finger and help me out down here? And then Jesus continues this horror story. He says this, but Abraham said, child, Remember that you, in your lifetime, you received your good things. And Lazarus, in like manner, he received his bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. I, I put in my notes, wow, hell, hell's not a party. Hell is a place of, of torment. But now you are in anguish. It's Jonathan Edwards who writes again in that famous sermon, the lost will will and gnash their teeth from having to endure the most intense pain and suffering they have ever felt as the flames consume them and constantly burn every part of their bodies with no relief. Luke 13, 28, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. How much pain you gotta be in to go like that with your teeth? Jesus, this is a horror story. Besides all this, between us and you, there's a great chasm and it's been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to there may not be able and none may cross from there to us. If you believe that somehow you can get out of this state once you're dead, Jesus disagrees with you. Hell is a place without hope, I put None may cross over, we see in this text. None. In hell, there is no hope. Charles Haddon Spurgeon writes, there's no hope of dying or even being annihilated. They are forever, forever, forever lost. On every chain in hell, there's written forever. The fire blazes the words forever. Their eyes are gold and their hearts are painted with the very thought that this is forever. Revelation 20:10. tormented day and night forever. This don't preach at a self-help church. But this is in your scripture. It's right there and Jesus goes, you wanna talk priorities? Stay out of that place. He said, then I beg you, Father. I beg you, Father, send, send someone to my father's house. I got five brothers who are gonna end up here. Do something so that they may warn them, warn somebody, lest they also come into this place of torment. I wrote down here, hell is a place of regret. Warn them, lest also they come. And Charles Haddon, again, in his, in his famous sermon, Hell, he writes, they will find no company to give them any comfort or do them the least good. They'll find no secret place where they can remain and rest and take a breath for a minute, for they will be thrown in and tormented with fire. They'll have no rest day or night forever. Daniel 12, 2, it's a place of shame and everlasting contempt. It's not a party. It's not a party. 
Just send somebody to tell my brothers, Abraham. And Abraham turns and says this. This is interesting. They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. They've been given the scripture. Abraham, hey, they've been given the scripture. They've been told. They've been told about hell. They won't come here. They've been told about it. We appreciate your ideology, Abraham. But the rich man disagrees. He says this. No, 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 Father Abraham. But if someone actually goes to them from the dead, then they'll repent. And listen to what Jesus says here from the mouth of Abraham in his story. If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither are they gonna be convinced if someone rises from the dead. Gulp. The very man who was about to die and rise again from the dead said, if they're not gonna believe scripture, they're not even gonna believe it if somebody rose again from the dead. Hell is a place of eternity, I put in my notes. The smoke of their torment rises forever and ever. Charles Spurgeon says, oh, if I could tell you tonight that hell would one day be burned out and that those who were lost might be saved, there would be a jubilee in hell at the very thought of it. But it can't be, it's forever. They're cast into the outer darkness forever. I look at this text, I look at my life, I look at my call on earth, and I don't wanna gain the whole world, I put, and lose my soul. It's not my saying, but I love it. I don't wanna gain the world and lose my soul. And I believe one of the devil's tricks right now for the church at large and within our hearts is to promote selfishness that leads to isolation from the truth and turns us into hating or being angry or despising the very people who are headed towards hell if we don't share the love of Jesus Christ with them. The most miserable people are those who care only about themselves, rich man, in this story. Understand only their troubles and see only their perspective. Let's not get caught in this trap. For the devil is coming to kill, steal, and destroy. He wants you during this season to be miserable, caring only about yourself, understanding only your troubles, and seeing only your perspective. I would argue that God has shown me through this season of refining. Chris, it's selfishness that's gonna ruin the blessed life from you. And God has been refining the tar out of me. And I've been sharing it with you on this stage, sometimes quite vulnerably, by the way. I've looked at this list and I've said, God, I can see the ways you're refining me. Go one more. How often have I put my rocks first in my life? Blessed is my way. No, no, poor in spirit. No, blessed is my way. Chris, we're gonna have to refine it. It's not gonna be your way all the time. But blessed is my views on how I see the world. We gotta refine some of that. Blessed are my schedule, my schedule. No, no, blessed are the me. Blessed are my dreams and what I desire. No, blessed are those who hunger for righteousness. Blessed, blessed is my schedule and what I have time to do. Blessed is my reputation and how I'm viewed. No, no, blessed are the pure in heart, the inner man. Blessed are, are my problems. Blessed are my comforts and I make life about myself. And I'm no good to anybody. And so I look in the mirror and I read this text. 
For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks in the mirror and sees his face. He looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he's like. Now, I've never read to you the next verse during this series. I've saved it for this moment. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. That's the blessed life. The biggest thing I have learned during this year, this is the most common phrase I've heard from people. The biggest thing I've learned during this year is how little control I actually have of my life. I had a great coach tell me when I was struggling with whether I would perform well in the game, he said, listen, Chris, control the controllables. Control the controllables. You can control your attitude. You can control your preparation. You can't control how you're gonna be strategized against or how you're gonna be attacked, but you can control the controllables. And so may I leave you with how I plan to do that. I share with you an anchor verse. I wanna encourage you to have an anchor verse. I want you to think through an anchor verse and say, that will be my anchor during this time. And I'm gonna meditate on it day and night. But my anchor verse is gonna come from the Beatitudes because I wanna live a life right now that I actually have control over. And it's my response to what happens. And so let's conclude with those Beatitudes. You ready? Here's my list. The first one, blessed are the humble. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it, Luke eleven twenty eight. 28. When you're going through a situation in your life, and you're tempted to be proud and arrogant, but you choose humility, I want you to picture the Lord looking down from heaven and going, that's my boy. Yeah, but Lord, I, I took the humble route and people thought I looked soft or I looked like weak. I, that's my boy. Blessed are the humble. Yeah, but God, the, the world and like people, I know what they think. That's my boy. Blessed are the humble. I'm opposed to the proud. I give grace to the humble, Chris. That's my boy. Blessed, or here's my second priority, I can control. Blessed are the empathetic. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who look at other people's lives and seek to have some sort of empathy. How blessed is he who considers the helpless, the Lord will deliver him in the day of trouble. Young lady out there, when you go out of your way to encourage a friend, when everybody's ignored her, or when you go out of your way to text somebody a verse and tell you love them, it's like Jesus going, that's my girl. That's my girl. Oh, but I'm so tempted to post online what I would. I know you are. But you showed empathy. That's my girl. And here's the third one. Blessed are the patient. Blessed are the patient. That's the priority. Blessed are the meek. They have some. They could do something, but they choose not to. How blessed is the man whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. When God sees us showing restraint from withholding what we might want to do, he goes, that's my boy. That's my girl. That's kingdom living. That's what I want to see. Yeah, but the world, the world, it's almost like I'm better off if I blow ahead. I know, I know. But when I see you show patience, that's my boy. That's my girl. Blessed are the fourth. Blessed are the devoted. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Oh, taste and see the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Memorize the blessings. 
Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Blessed is the man who goes to the Lord versus everything else to gain his strength. When Jesus sees you late at night looking in your scripture, that's my boy. When that young lady opens up her text or rehearses that verse in her mind during school, that's my girl. When that grandma who feels that fear sends that letter to her daughter saying, you know I'm praying for you and I know what the family's going through, he says, that's my girl. Blessed are the devoted. Five, blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the merciful. He who is generous will be blessed for he gives some of his food to the poor. I grew up in a home where my dad would say things like, you know what? We're struggling right now financially. We probably need to start giving more. And every time he did that, we would just get through those seasons because my dad just understood that whole process of out giving God and showing mercy and putting it forward instead of holding it back. And it's always been a lesson for us in our own lives as, as Christians. And we struggle at it sometimes, but blessed are those who are looking out for other people. Blessed are those who are being generous with their time, gifts, and talents. When Jesus sees that, he goes, I saw it. Nobody knows what I gave to that. I know, but I got you. Blessed are the merciful. Six, blessed are the pure. This is how we're closing our series out. These are the priorities. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are those whose ways blame us who walk in the law of the Lord. I don't know what people will say and think about me. It doesn't matter. It matters what I say and think about you. Jesus, I know you love me. Thank you. That's my girl. That's my boy. Blessed are the seven forgiving. Blessed are the peacemakers. For even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you're blessed. And do not fear the intimidation or do not be troubled. When Jesus sees you going out of your way to help other people find peace, he says, that's my boy. That's my girl. Blessed are the peacemakers. And then finally, blessed are those who are faithful. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord promised to those who love him. Blessed are even those who pay for it sometimes for following the things of the Lord. Those are my new priorities. I put them in my journal. They're gonna be with me forever. I'm gonna to go to them in those times where I feel like everything around me is telling me to act a different way and I'm gonna do my best to live out those priorities. I'm gonna anchor down with my verse and I wanna encourage you to do the same. Those are things I can control. I can't necessarily control what goes on outside. May it encourage you and bless you in this season of refining where God is whittling away those things that don't matter and filling you with the things that do. Let him do his work delight in his law day and night. And I pray that you'll experience the blessed life Jesus promises. As we close, I wanna pray for anybody here today who heard some of those aspects of the rich man and Lazarus story and thought, I don't know where I'm going when I die. You don't have to end today that way. Jesus says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you can be saved. Even right there on your couch or right there in your chair you can make sure that hell is not a place you will be. But I'd be the weakest, poorest shepherd ever if I believed that that place was real in scripture and I didn't warn you to stay out of it. And so today, maybe it's your day to call upon the name of the Lord and be saved and know for sure. Heavenly Father, I come before you. You can pray with me. Lord, save my life. I wanna meet Lazarus someday. I don't wanna to go to that awful place. It exists because you're holy and perfect. 
and I have to be a child of God to enter into your kingdom. But the greatest priority we could ever have, the most true north point we could ever have, is to call on the name of the Lord and be saved. Repent of your sin, turn from it, ask Jesus to forgive you today. Simply pray, God, forgive me of my sin. I want you to be my savior. You're my priority. I give you my life. I want to make a change. Refine me so that you can use me. I'm yours. Scripture tells you if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you are saved. I pray that even happened for someone today and that this True North series was preached so that we would get our priorities straight. Amen.